This episode of the MGMA podcast is brought to you by Walmart Business. It's the Walmart you love, now for business. Get everything you need for your staff and patients in one place. Enjoy big savings on health and safety products, cleaning supplies, over-the-counter medications, and much more. And don't forget the break room snacks. Create a free account today and start shopping at business.walmart.com. That's business.walmart.com. It's time to explore and find the answers you've been searching for with the new 2023 Data Dive data sets. The MGMA Provider Compensation and Production data set is one of the most comprehensive data sets in the industry, providing hospital and physician-owned practice data and compensation benchmarks for medical directorship, on-call, academic, and starting salaries. The 2023 data set represents nearly 190,000 providers from 6,800 groups spanning 250 specialties. With this valuable data, you can attract and retain the highest quality providers, drive more revenue through productivity, and keep costs contained. Learn more by visiting mgma.com slash data dive. Healthcare is complicated but you don't have to navigate the complexities alone. Care Allies collaborates with physician organizations to solve some of the toughest challenges on the path to value-based care. As your organization works to effectively manage your more vulnerable patient populations, enhance outcomes, and improve data analytics, Care Allies brings the people, technology, and processes to support you so you can focus on practicing medicine. Visit careallies.com to see how they can help to radically simplify value-based care. Hi, everyone. I'm Daniel Williams, Senior Editor of MGMA and host of the MGMA Podcast Network. Today, we welcome Meredith Hirsch to the show. Meredith is the CEO of the Hirsch Center, and she's also earned her MBA. She has a FACMPE. Meredith, welcome to the MGMA podcast. Thanks, Daniel. I am very excited to be here. Fantastic. Now, this episode for our listeners is uh, part of a new podcast uh, show and series that we are really proud about, um, Women in Healthcare. So we're going to address this topic in a number of different ways through the lens of uh, Meredith's career. But uh, Meredith, you shared with me a lot of your background. I'm not even sure I could call it a bio. It was way more in, in depth. I loved it. It had so much detail about you and your life. And so I want to start with your mom. Uh, you talk about that. Uh, talk about her in that background uh, bio that you shared with me. So talk about your mom. What did she mean to you and how did she inspire you as you've built your own career? So my mom is fiercely independent, so much so that she is now 
70 something. I'll, I'll give her that grace. Yeah. And, uh, and she's still working and she is not married. She is living on her own and she really enjoys what she does. She does not ask for help. It's really tough. So that's probably the one thing that I didn't really learn growing up asking for help. She was a role model in that respect. And I don't know if role model is the right word for that. But I'll tell you, if one thing my mom taught me was work ethic. Uh, my mother and father got married uh, in I think 1972, had me in 74, had my brother in 76 and got divorced five months later. So uh, my mom is originally from Des Moines and she had a bachelor's degree, moved down to Miami. My dad's actually a doctor and he was doing his residency down in Miami. He sent her a ring in the mail and uh, she said yes. And she flew down and stayed here for about six years. Um, I was five years old when we moved. And uh, my mom went to graduate school right after she divorced my father and got her master's in social work and moved back to the Midwest with us when I was five years old. And if anything, my mom taught me work ethic because she figured out how to make it as a single mom raising my brother and me and moving throughout the country. And she also taught me fierce independence. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the... One of the things you mentioned in that bio was that, I want to get it right here, you lived in 13 houses by the time you graduated from high school. That is quite an experience in itself. How did that mold you and shape you in your career? Because I would think, I don't know if the houses were down the street or across the country or, or a combination of everything, but you kind of got to start over again, make friends, make build new networks. So what did that mean to move so many times in such a short period of time? Well, in third grade, I lived in three states. Uh, I think I went to about 17 schools throughout my career, uh, or at least 17 schools by the time I graduated college. And that was only one school. So go Gators University. Of <laughs> I have to give a shout out to that. Um, but uh, yeah, I lived in 13 houses before um before I finished my freshman year in high school. Mm. And my mom used to say some people spring clean and she just moves. So I certainly <laughs> learned how to put a bedroom back together in less than 24 hours. Um, but you know what? It taught me how to own it. It taught me how to work or walk into any situation and figure it out. And a lot of, I would say women, since we're talking about women in healthcare, have imposter syndrome. And whether or not I feel like I've had imposter syndrome because I've moved throughout the country, um, I own it and I fake it till I make it. In third grade, I went to three different schools and we, we started in Wisconsin. We went to Minnesota and I ended up in Phoenix, Arizona. So it definitely was across the country. But not only did my mom show me independence, but being forced into new situations showed me independence. And I'm an extreme extrovert in my MBA program. They thought I was the most extroverted 
And uh, the PhD students love to come in and test us. And I actually only ended up number seven out of 50. So no, I was not the most extroverted. Um, my brother, on the other hand, is actually an extreme introvert. Mm -hmm. um, but you know what? He can fake it in a situation. Um, I definitely have learned to trust people at the onset. I think you can go either way. And I think it has actually helped me in my career because I'm not so hesitant about people at the onset. And it has opened up a lot of doors for me. Wow. Now, I'm not naive. So mm -hmm. screw me once. It's, re it's really difficult to get my trust again, but I think um, my Midwestern values in the sense of I trust at the onset and having to move because I had no other choice but to trust people mm -hmm. uh, has really helped me in my career. Okay. Now, you have a, a, a variety of uh, roles that you've taken on throughout your career. We'll get to that in a minute, but I want to go back to where you got your start, and that was uh in those formative years you were a girl scout and i want to learn from you uh what you learned from that experience as well so i think my mom threw me into brownies which is what it was when i was in second grade right um, because we moved so much and at least she felt that that would be an instant friend group so it was um, some of the girls went to school with me, some didn't, but I love the sales of the Girl Scout cookies mm -hmm. and I am highly competitive. So my goal was to have the highest sales in my troop every year. And my mom used to joke and say, some people join Girl Scouts for the camaraderie and friendship. Meredith joins it to sell Girl Scout cookies. So uh, I, I definitely enjoyed that aspect of it. But I think girls act differently around girls when they're all in one group together than bringing a boy into the situation. Mm -hmm. And I would say boys act differently when they're in an all boys situation. I have three sons. And because of my experience with Girl Scouts, I sent them to an all boys summer camp. And I did not go to an all-girls school ever, but um, they got to rough around and experience the non-girl infiltration um, of their life um, with all guys. And they all really enjoyed that. And I felt a sense of community when I was in the Brownies, and then the Girl Scouts, which actually ended um, after sixth grade. So I didn't participate after sixth grade. But I actually liked it so much that the summer between high school and college, I was a Girl Scout camp counselor. Wow, that's cool. So I have to ask, what's your favorite uh, cookie? Which of the Girl Scout cookies is your favorite? Gosh, and then you're going to ask me to remember the name, but I'm going to say Thin Mints. Yes. Ones with the peanut butter on the inside. Those are, you read my mind. Those are my two favorite too. I love those too. And I don't, the peanut butter one has a, any of our listeners, if you want to share that with us later, I know it has a specific name to it, but I don't know what it is, but I, I know it when I, when I consume one of those. I don't either, but I will tell you when you're a Girl Scout camp counselor, they have a shed of just Girl Scout cookies oh. and you get to pull them out and give them to the girls whenever you want. I think I was the only one who probably 
walked about 30,000 steps a day, although we didn't have the trackers at the time. Right. But I ate so many Girl Scout cookies. I certainly maintained my weight. <laughs> yeah, I, I like the Girl Scout cookies. <laughs> they are wonderful. So moving further into your career, also looking at your background, you have, a, a, again, a variety of experiences. I think you started out in advertising, got into the financial side of things. Um, you're now in healthcare. So talk a little bit about that journey and what eventually uh, led you into the healthcare side of things. So um, I went to the University of Florida and uh, in Florida, we have a really cool program called Florida Prepaid. It was pretty dirt cheap for me to go. Um, when I graduated from high school in Wisconsin, my dad said, I will pay for any school in Florida. Okay. And uh, look where I live now. I live in Florida. So I guess he did the right thing. Um, he wanted me down here and he got me down here. And so uh, trying to figure out how to maneuver it elsewhere. It didn't, I did not want to graduate with debt. And so I went to the University of Florida. And he also said, and you can be a doctor, lawyer, or accountant. And I said, what if I don't want to be a doctor, lawyer, or an accountant? He said, well, that's what I'll pay for. So uh, I actually got a degree in advertising. Uh, it's in the College of Journalism. And I knew that if I wanted to go to law school, which was the avenue I was headed, I said that, you know what? Well, I have to get good grades. And this is sort of fun for me. And let's go that route. So I, I ended up not going to law school. Down the road, I got my master's in business. But I really enjoyed the advertising aspect. Again, cookie sales from the Girl Scout times. I really enjoyed selling, selling in a way of something I believed in, something mm -hmm. that I was passionate about. My first job um, or first career job was working with Abbott Laboratories in Chicago. I moved to Chicago after graduation and I was their liaison between the HR department and my advertising agency to recruit for their HR team. So I did recruitment advertising for a while and um, I meandered my way around. I taught high school English and journalism for a couple of years when I was in Miami. And I actually got my mortgage brokerage license um, right after I had my first child because I then went into flipping houses um, that went into um, debt. So if a house was foreclosed on, I went in there, I flipped it, and that's how I made money. So I'm not I'm not a really good stay-at-home mom um, in the sense of I, I I yeah. When I taught, I taught seniors in high school. Okay. I was like, I need adults. And now I teach at Florida Atlantic University and I teach adults. So <laughs> I really enjoy teaching and that aspect, but um, yeah, not when they can't grasp it in the right. earlier years. So um, I could flip houses with a kid on my hip and make money while my husband was in training to be a rheumatologist. So um, I did that for a while and I, I always knew I wanted to own my own company. I always knew I enjoyed the business side of the world. I always did, right? Selling cookies and Girl Scouts. That's what I enjoyed doing. So I had to figure out what business I wanted to do. And it sort of fell on me because my husband, who I married at 21, um, and that's why we moved to Chicago. He did his residency. Uh, 
in actually his internship in Chicago, and then we migrated back to South Florida, uh, was working for a practice of about six doctors um, mm -hmm. for about four years. And things were not going the way that we had thought they would go. I just had my third child. We just bought a new house and I had a mortgage. And uh, I looked at him and I said, we've got to do this on our own. And he's like, well, if you'll do it with me. And I said, okay, you doctor and I'll run the business side. Okay. Yeah. We rented space from a podiatrist um, about 10 miles from where he was practicing just outside of our non-compete area. And we essentially hung a shingle. Um, mm -hmm. We had eight patients on day one and 15 patients on day two. Whoa. And so through from there, a year and a half later, we had actually brought on an associate okay. and we bought a space, 3,400 square feet. Um, mm -hmm. Once our non-compete was, was over, um, we bought a space closer to where our original stomping grounds were and we grew from there. So um, we have about 150 patients walk through our door every day now. Whoa. Um, started wow. out eight and we have 42 team members and we have six providers, three rheumatologists, and we are desperately recruiting for another rheumatologist. That's a whole nother story. Mm -hmm. uh, and three, um, two PAs and a, and a um, nurse practitioner. Okay. So three mid-levels. And so um, we've, we've come a long way. We've been in practice for 15 years. It will be 16 years in October. And this was all new to me. I mm -hmm. was the original front desk person, I want to say, okay. um, answering the phones and negotiating insurance contracts. And my first one sucked and I had to cancel it in about three days. Um, but I learned a lot through that. I mean, I had mm -hmm. read contracts in the past, but not contracts to this degree. And anybody out there who's read an insurance contract probably empathizes with me and understands exactly all of the nuances that are involved mm -hmm. in an insurance contract. But even setting up the phone lines and figuring out how to do EHR and um, when we were still on paper charts and then hunting for that. But we had five team members and we had a, a x-ray tech. We had an LPN. We had a medical assistant. We had my husband, who was our one doctor. And that's what we did. <laughs> and I feel like using all of my background when it came to real estate definitely helped. I built out four medical spaces now. Wow. And uh, using my advertising certainly helped. I bought the bus shelter or I rented the bus shelter right outside of his old practice. And it just said, Dr. Hirsch moved, had a photo of him and our phone number. That's awesome. So you're currently the CEO of the Hirsch Center. So what advice? I mean, how can you kind of talk about your um your journey in that way where you've you've built out this career. You you did get that MBA. You've got your fellow um, through AMC, AM, ACMPE as well uh, through MGMA, um, CEO of this organization, professor. You're doing all these different things, but how, how have you been able to balance all these things? What kind of advice can you give? I mean, because this is women in healthcare, we can direct it toward women. So long, I 
multifaceted question. No, but I, I'd love I agree with you. And I, I love, Daniel, that you brought it up because I am a huge cheerleader for women. And uh, I would say 97% of my kids' child rearing was done by me. Mm-hmm. Um, I will tell you, though, throughout this process, and when I went back originally to get my MBA, because I did so running the company, raising three kids, and going back to school every third weekend, I had two full-time babysitters. Mm-hmm. I did. Mm-hmm. And one of my nannies, um, she stayed with me for 11 years. Whoa. And okay. it was until my kids were at the age where I didn't need her any longer. Um, but I am very grateful for her. And she had my back and helped me with my kids. And my youngest uh, was like a grandson to her. Mm -hmm. And she really helped me through my kids' formative years. Mm -hmm. And then the other person who helped me out was really um, helpful with my middle son, who definitely needed extra TLC. And she was like an aunt to him. Mm -hmm. And they're both actually still involved in my life and my kids' lives and their family. And I was really good to them and they were really good to me. And it takes those types of relationships because you cannot do it alone. Um, My husband was seeing patients all of the time. Um, When he first started his career, he was on staff at four different hospitals, plus seeing patients during the day. Mm -hmm. So he wasn't around. And uh, in the later years, as I've actually gotten busier in my career, he has taken on more. So not only am I highly organized, I used to be much more of a control freak than I am now, shockingly. (laughs) Uh, But you know what? I don't know the last time I've gone to the grocery store. And that was even before the pandemic. Um, I had to relinquish that control and let my husband do it. So we ended up with 10 different types of snacks and uh, protein for only one night of dinner. So be it. And then I would look at him and say, what are you cooking for dinner? So um, we've gone through times where I've had that pre-ordering of meals where I haven't cooked. Right. Um, I don't do a lot of cooking anymore. I really enjoy cooking, but I'll be honest, I don't have time. Mm -hmm. So um, I'm willing to spend the money for those types of services in order to have time on the other end, which actually will pay for those services. So um, I'm certainly not a cheap person when it comes to that. I mean, it, it takes a quarter to make a dollar. It really right. does. Um, but I've had a lot of support, whether I've paid for it or whether people have offered it. I mean, even growing up, my oldest son, you had asked me before the podcast started, what am I doing for July 4th? See, I told you I'd make it relevant. Right. Um, what am I doing for July 4th? And I said, my oldest son is home right now. And he invited a couple of his friends over. And those two friends are both only children and they are his childhood friends. So one, I don't move my kids. So uh, they were born in South Florida. We live in South Florida. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I also married a man who uh, has always lived in Florida except okay. for uh, one year when we were in Chicago. Um, So I like stability, that is for sure. But my son's two closest friends are only children. 
and their moms, um, one was a single mom and one um, did have a husband, um, but they took Ethan everywhere. Mm -hmm. Um, They picked him up. When I went, I was up in Gainesville for grad school the second time. Um, It was quite a challenge to finish up my MBA. Um, It was my third attempt at finishing grad school. And the first time around, I did not have the support system I needed, especially in the office. And I had my choice. I, I figured I could do two things, right? I had no hobbies. My hobby was work. My hobby was school. My hobby was raising my kids. Um, but I was the mom of three. And I went back to school and my youngest was four years old. Okay. And they they were all born within six years. So my oldest was 10. And uh, I was running the company. I was going back to school and it was not online. And I was a mom and Mm. I went through three semesters and I couldn't do it anymore. I actually took a leave of absence and I never thought I would go back. Um, I called the dean. I was at the University of Florida again. And they had a South Florida professional program. And he originally had wanted me in their executive MBA program up in Gainesville. And I thought, I can't do that. I can drive the 45 minutes every third weekend to do the South Florida program and be home at night. But I can't go to Gainesville for three three days every month. Um, So I'm going to do the professional program. Well, obviously, that didn't work either. And uh, I needed to be there for my children. And I needed to be there for my company. I actually made a $100,000 mistake. I was not slowing down enough. And I made a mistake on the first EHR we went on to. And Hmm. we went on. Um, April 4th, we went 2011, we went off April 11th, 2011, and it cost me $100,000. And I learned and I tell everybody, it's a learning opportunity if it happens once. Mm-hmm. If you don't learn, then it's a mistake. Okay. So it was my learning opportunity. <laughs> and we've been on the same EHR now um, since 2013. But it took two years to make that decision. And I made it very differently. Um, but I had to step away and I told my dean, I need to be a mom and I can't give that up. And I need to run my company because that's what supports my family. So mm-hmm. I can't give that up. I have to give up school. He said, Meredith, we keep your credits for seven years. And I said, that's great to know. And in the back of my mind, I thought, there's no way in hell I'm going back to school. And uh, he called me a year later and he said, are you ready? And I said, oh, no. But four years later, I went back. And wow. I graduated in 2016, and I actually did go into the executive MBA program. But that's because I learned that I needed a better support system. And my kids did need to be a little older, mm-hmm. um, I needed to be a little bit more self-sufficient. But those kids who are coming over for July 4th weekend, they're like sons. Mm-hmm. Um, they're like my, my son is like a son to their moms. Mm-hmm. Uh, they picked him up from school. They brought him over on the weekends. Um, they, gosh, they were amazing. And you know mm-hmm. what? When I really needed it, I could call them and say, hey, can you get Ethan? And they mm-hmm. did. I mean, I get very emotional talking about it because, yeah, as a woman, 
whether you're married or not married, I mean, you're the primary caregiver. Right. And um, I don't know how much it's changed. I'm 48 years old and I was raised by a single mom. So I didn't have a dad around. And uh, my husband, he has really, really pulled it in for the last five years because I needed him to. Right. He learned a lot when I went through grad school and he learned what he needed to do. And he loves going to Publix and go to, going to the grocery store <laughs> or wherever he goes. Costco. And he, he loves the fact that the pandemic has helped with Instacart because now he doesn't have to go there, but he, he orders it and he gets it and he puts it away and he figures it out. But, uh, um, and he even cooks a lot more now, um, or we order in a lot, but uh, it's really getting the support that you need. Mm-hmm. And listen, I've been a role model for my boys, for strong yeah. women, because they've seen and experienced a mom who, yeah, I'm there. And I love the fact that it's my company because if it's Halloween and they have dress up day, I can leave and go mm-hmm. watch the parade around. So no, I don't think I could work for anybody else. I love the fact that I have the autonomy to go to events that I need to go to for their school and be available to them. But when I'm the last one in the office at night, It's explaining to them, listen, I made my choice. My choice Mm -hmm. was I was there for your Halloween party. And I've asked them, do you want me to go to this or do you want me to go to that? Right. So they're given a choice. And and you know what? They're actually good with it. And I'm glad about that because, hey, this is the generation we're raising, right? Where we do want the dads to to contribute 50%. For sure. Well, we'll get there someday. (laughs) All right. Well, Meredith, this has been uh, a joy to get to talk with you and learn from you about your journey, uh, whether it's in education or the workforce or as a parent. So thank you for joining us today. I appreciate it. I want to end with one thing. For sure. Absolutely. This is is a women in healthcare issue. It is. And if there's one thing that I actually two, I'm going to say two, two pieces of advice that I can mm-hmm. give them because it's something I teach my students because the majority of my students happen to be women because I teach a certified medical business management program okay. and a lot of women in healthcare go into finance, do something financial. You don't have to have studied finance, but understand the financial side. You need to be responsible for the revenue and the expenses of some entity in a company. Mm -hmm. At the end of 2022, 9.4% of Fortune 500 company CEOs were women. That's it. And I don't think it's because people didn't want women in that role. I don't think so. I think it's actually their experience Mm -hmm. and the fact that women tend to not take on the financial side of a company. So I said at the beginning, I function as our CFO. I enjoy it. I am responsible if we make it or break it, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but I would say take on a financial role. And then the second one is women need to support each other. There is more than one seat at the table for a woman. Mm-hmm. I have sat on several boards where I am the only woman. And I joke that I brought the estrogen into the room. <laughs> but you know what? 
I work really hard to support other women and their growth because my mentors in life have been men. And I didn't have a woman who came to me and said, you know what, Meredith, I see the opportunity that you can bring to the table. That is a great way to end this conversation. So Meredith, again, thank you for joining us and sharing all these thoughts with us. I appreciate your time and I'm really grateful that I was able to do this. So thank you. You got it. So that is going to do it for this episode of MGMA's newest podcast, Women in Healthcare. Thanks again to Meredith Hirsch, CEO of the Hirsch Center. And thanks to you for listening to the MGMA Podcast Network. If you like the work we're doing, please consider becoming an MGMA member. Learn more at mgma.com slash membership. The popular buzzword we've been seeing everywhere is AI. But what we all want to know is how we can implement and use it to our advantage when it comes to improving margins, accelerating cash flow, and optimizing staff performance. There's a one stop shop using cloud based predictive analytics. MGMA Analytics is your AI enabled tool that upscales technology you've already been paying for, so you can silo your disparate systems and make data backed business decisions. Visit MGMA dot com slash analytics and see how AI can revolutionize your finances and operations. Again, visit mgma.com slash analytics today.